What is holiness? Is it something that only God has, or can people have it too? We're going to talk about that today and a lot more in our Knowing God lesson on God's holiness today on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is Thursday, June the 4th of 2009, and as always, I am your host, Toby Logsdon, and God bless you guys. It's such a blessing to have you guys here with me today. Of course, today we'll be resuming our lessons in our series called Knowing God, and of course, the point of this series is to examine the attributes of God as revealed in Scripture and nature. And of course, uh, the last attribute that we covered was the Trinity, uh, God's triune nature, and I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope that it was helpful to you guys, helping you guys understand the Trinity. Uh, There are some uh, very basic objections or some more questions pertaining to the Trinity, and actually we're going to be having a QA and a lesson on a Saturday coming up, and I will address those issues about the Trinity specifically. So if you have a question about the Trinity that maybe wasn't answered in our lessons on the Trinity, do make sure you get that over to me. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com, and like I said, in an upcoming Saturday, we'll have a special Q&A lesson specifically for questions pertaining to the Trinity, uh, questions that maybe weren't answered in our lessons on the Trinity. I also wanted to let you guys know real quick before we get started that uh, our book of the month is called True for You But Not for Me, Deflating the Slogans That Leave Christians Speechless. And everybody who makes a tax-deductible donation of $50 or more to our ministry this month, before the end of June, is going to get a copy of this book. And this covers the questions or the objections that you are most likely to hear that are kind of sloganized uh, in the news media, in uh, in just the media in general. Like you'll find these things, uh, these lines in movies and TV shows and so on and so forth. For example, uh, how many of you guys haven't heard somebody say, we act morally because of biological evolution or social conditioning. In other words, there is no moral law. It's all part of the evolutionary process. Well, how do you respond to that? Or how about this one? Christians are intolerant of other viewpoints. How do you respond to that? This book is going to teach you how to recognize self-defeating statements, self-defeating arguments, and all of these uh, all these slogans that you're likely to encounter when you are engaging in conversational apologetics. And that's really kind of my new kick, I guess, uh, conversational apologetics. Of course, last month, our book of the month was Conversational Evangelism by Norman and David Geisler. And uh, really, there's some good good strategy in there. But it's not really geared so much to teaching you the philosophy per se. Uh, This book will teach you a little bit more of the philosophy. Now, of course, this isn't a book that's available exclusively through through our ministry. You can get onto Amazon.com or wherever and get it from there. But this is definitely a book that I would recommend that you have in your collection. And so what I'm trying to do is uh, is equip the people who are supporting our ministry with the books that I most strongly recommend. So anyway, if you'd like to make a donation to Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, you can do it through PayPal by going to our website and clicking on the support box on the right-hand side. So anyway, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started with today's lesson with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much 
for your word. We thank you so much for this study in which we are, like the series is called, getting to know you. We're learning more about you, Lord. I pray that we would understand exactly what it means when we say that you are holy, Lord. Help us to understand your holiness better than we've ever understood it before. We love you, and we thank you so much for this time, Lord. Draw us closer to you in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, every attribute that we've covered up to this point in our study has actually been a non-moral attribute. A non-moral attribute is basically an attribute which is exclusive to God, things that we as creatures are necessarily incapable of having or of being. For example, we can't be uh, necessary beings. That was one of the attributes of God. He was a necessary being. Uh, And we can't be necessary beings because there can only be one necessary being. All other beings are contingent, which, of course, would be what we'd be classified as. Or uh, take the attribute of being infinite. Obviously, only God is infinite, and we're finite. And so thus, logically, we're incapable by our own nature of being infinite. Uh, By contrast, a moral attribute would be something that a created being would indeed be capable of being or having, although the degree to which a created being is capable of demonstrating moral attributes pales in comparison to uh, to the way that God has these attributes. So with that being said, it makes sense that holiness would be a good starting point as we begin to turn our study, knowing God, toward the moral attributes of God from this point forward. Uh, so as always, let's go ahead and start with just a basic understanding or a basic definition of what it means when we say that God is holy. Well, there are two Hebrew words which are used to communicate the fact that God is holy, two primary words. The first word is Gadesh, which refers to the separateness, sacredness, or apartness of God. And we find this word, for example, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, where God tells Moses, do not come near here, remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. The Hebrew word gadosh also refers to God's holiness and is translated as sacred, holy, or sanctified, among a few other words that it gets translated as. The fact that God is holy should elicit a response from us, right? Well, what response should that be? According to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 23, we should experience awe and reverence in light of his holiness. This awe and reverence should move us to tremble as we worship him unceasingly, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 29. The four creatures from Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, praised and worshiped God day and night without ceasing, crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Well, we should also note that when we're referring to God as being holy and thus being separate, we're saying that he is separate and completely apart from anything that is not of himself. This would include anything that's evil as well as anything that he's created, whether that be humanity or angels. He is separate from those things. He's separate and distinct from all of creation and can't be tempted by evil. Well, now that we have a working definition of the word holy, let's go ahead and take a look at the scriptural support for the holiness of God. Uh, In Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, God tells the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. He continues in the next verse saying, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. 
You guys know how I believe that repetition is so important. There's some repetition right there. Be holy because I am holy, says the Lord. Later in Leviticus, God addresses the Israelites saying, I, the Lord, am holy. I who make you holy. That's Leviticus chapter 21, verse 8. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 19, Joshua tells the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And the Psalms, of course, are filled with declarations of God's holiness. And again, I would encourage you, if you really want to study God's attributes, man, get yourself in the Psalms because they are full of them. Anyway, in Psalm chapter 22, verse 3, we read, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. Psalm chapter 33, verse 21 declares, Our heart rejoices in him because we trust in his holy name. In Psalm chapter 71, verse 22, the psalmist proclaims, I will praise you with a harp, even your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O holy one of Israel. In Psalm chapter 99, verse 3, we read, Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. And then in verse 5 of the same psalm, just a couple verses later, we read, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Now we should also note that dozens of passages refer to God as the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. And this is also a phrase that we find in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, verse 34, uh, a demon-possessed man in the synagogue cries out, Leave us alone. What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then in John chapter 6 verse 69, Simon Peter declares, "We have believed and have come to know that you, of course he's speaking to Jesus, that you are the holy one of God." Now, it's also worth noting that the things which are associated with God, just associated with God, are described as being holy. God's name, for example, is holy, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 35, for example. We saw in Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, that the very ground where he stands is holy. Psalm 77, verse 13, told us that the way of God is holy. The throne of God is described as being holy in Psalm chapter 47, verse 8, and where is his throne? According to Psalm 48, 1 and Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14, his holy throne is in the holy city of Jerusalem, which of course is on a holy mountain or hill as Psalm chapter 15, verse 1 tells us. And his tabernacle is also holy. And the things that are in the tabernacle, things such as eating utensils and furniture, these are also referred to as being holy, as we find in Leviticus chapter 5 verse 15, for example. His dwelling place in heaven, of course, is also holy, according to Second Chronicles chapter 30 verse 27 and Matthew chapter 3 verse 17. Now the people of God that's us, we're also described as being holy in verses such as 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. And further, God has even designated a holy place for disposal, for throwing things away, uh, a holy dumpster, if you will, according to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 40, which says, And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate shall be holy to the Lord. And finally, I think it's significant to note that God wants his people to live a life characterized by holiness as well. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, we read, Present your bodies a living and holy 
sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. In First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7, Paul writes, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11, Peter wrote, What kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Living a holy life is the only appropriate response to being set apart as a people belonging to a very holy God. Now, remember that because this is a moral attribute, this is something that we're capable of being characterized by. We're capable of having this attribute as well, although on a lesser scale, obviously. So with that being said, only the believer, only the believer can live a holy life since only the believer shares in the divine nature as peter told us in second peter chapter 1 verse 4 as paul wrote in second corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 he wrote quote beloved let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of god so clearly clearly scripture portrays everything related to god as being holy set apart by and for God. The Christian church throughout the ages has affirmed the holiness of God as well. Ignatius wrote that Christ, quote, lived a life of holiness without sin and was truly under Pontius Pilate and Herod the Tetrarch nailed to the cross for us in his flesh, end quote. Justin Martyr wrote, quote, glory and praise are before his face. Strength and glorying are in the habitation of his holiness. Give glory to the Lord, the Father everlasting. Receive grace and enter his presence and worship in his holy courts, end quote. And of course, St. Augustine referred to God as, quote, my holy God. And he also wrote of, quote, the image of God answering to the holiness of the Lord, the brighter portion of the flock of Christ, end quote. He also wrote that, quote, when we praise God directly, we do it as we celebrate his holiness, end quote. That's an awesome line. We do it as we celebrate his holiness. Thomas Aquinas wrote, quote, Consider then how the love which the supreme good, which is God, is so excellent that it is called holy. Whether that means pure, as the Greeks say, for God's is sheer goodness, quite unfeckled, or firm, as the Latins say, for God's is immutable goodness. And then in the era of the Reformation, Martin Luther wrote that, quote, God himself is righteousness, truth, goodness, wisdom, and holiness, end quote. Remember that what God has is what God himself is. And so thus, since we can say that God has holiness, we agree with Luther in proclaiming that our God is holiness, personified. John Calvin wrote, quote, what better foundation can it begin than by reminding us that we must be holy because God is holy. And Jonathan Edwards also wrote that, quote, being thus infinite in understanding and power, he must also be perfectly holy, for unholiness always argues some defect, some blindness. Where there is no darkness or delusion, there can be no unholiness, end quote. And he would go on to conclude that, quote, God is essentially holy, and nothing is more impossible than that God should do amiss, end quote. So even though scripture affirms that God is holy, and as we've seen here, the church has declared throughout the ages that God is holy, there are some objections to God's holiness that I think are worth addressing. So let's take a look at those just kind of briefly here before we close up. Uh, First, the Bible declares that humanity is utterly sinful and depraved. 
Yet scripture also offers a position in heaven for the depraved person. That a holy God allows unholy and depraved people into heaven seems to present a contradiction. Well, that's our first objection. And in response, yes, humanity is utterly sinful and depraved. Make no mistake about it. However, the person who puts their faith in Christ dies, in a sense, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 6. The old, depraved nature is, uh, is unified with Christ and was therefore placed upon him when he was crucified. So the depraved habits that we had with that nature might remain, but the fact is we've gotten a new nature in which Christ's holiness covers our unholiness. Further, the fact that believers do indeed sin in this lifetime doesn't mean that we'll sin once we're in heaven. In fact, Scripture affirms that we won't. There will be no sin in heaven. There will only be holiness there. Uh, When we see him, we'll become like him. That's what Scripture tells us. Yes, we'll still be free in heaven, but heaven will be a fulfillment of freedom. So rather than having the freedom to sin, we'll be free from sin. We'll be free from the temptation to sin. And so thus our depraved nature won't be that which we bring into heaven. Rather, it'll be the new nature that we have in Christ that we possess when we're in heaven. So that's how we would answer that first objection. The second objection goes something like this. If God is holy, he must condemn all sin. But the Bible also affirms that God is all-loving and thus desires to save all. Well, it seems contradictory to say that God desires to save all since he loves all, and yet he must condemn all for their sin since he's holy. Now, in response, we agree that God can't do things that are contradictory, uh, logically speaking, but with that being said, God is able to separate and distinguish the sin from the sinner. And he provided sufficient punishment for sin by sending Jesus to bear the sins of humanity, to bear the sins of anyone who put their faith in him for salvation. However, while the atonement of Christ is sufficient, it's only efficient to those who actually put their faith in Jesus. Secondly, it's worth noting that the Bible tells us that God does love those who reject his love. Uh, Once they reject his love, he doesn't stop loving them. What's the most loving thing that an all-loving God can do for those who refuse to accept the free gift of atonement for their unholiness? Separate them from the love that they have adamantly rejected. Scripture tells us that all persons are given a chance to accept that love, but if a person rejects it time and time again, what other option does God have but to give them the desire of their heart. That's the most moral and loving thing that we as humans can do. And since the moral law flows from God's nature, it logically follows that it's also the most moral and loving thing that God can do. And this act of putting those who reject his love in hell uh, is thus actually an act of love toward them. Thus, it's not a contradiction to affirm that God is both holy and all-loving. God does love all of his creation, but he has wrath against sin. So if a person won't accept payment for their sins, which was provided by the crucifixion of Christ, then God will allow them to reject that gift because of the fact that he is all-loving and thus loves the sinner. So in closing, you know, it's clear that God is indeed holy, very, very holy, totally set apart from creation and from all evil. And what that means for us can be summarized by what R.C. Sproul wrote in his book titled The Holiness of God. And actually, if you want to read a book about how holy God is and what exactly that means, man, this is the book. 
uh, this book had a huge impact on me when I read it. Uh, that was a long time ago, but I, I still remember it and I still have it. Anyway, R.C. Sproul wrote in this book, he said, quote, God is inescapable. There's no place we can hide from him. Not only does he penetrate every aspect of our lives, but he penetrates it in majestic holiness. Therefore, we must seek to understand what the holy is. We dare not seek to avoid it. There can be no worship, no spiritual growth, no true obedience without it. It defines our goal as Christians. God has declared, be ye holy, for I am holy, end quote. Well, I hope that clears up uh, any objections that people might have to God's holiness or any confusion they might have about God's holiness. Of course, if you need clarification or if you have questions about this issue, go ahead and shoot me an email. My email is cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. And of course, I'm always happy to take emails from you guys and happy to interact with you guys. Also, don't forget that you can uh, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter is uh, www.twitter.com slash tobylogsden. So anyway, uh, that way I can keep in touch with you and you guys can keep in touch with me because I'm very interested in interacting with you guys. So anyway, God bless you guys and thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a blessing. I hope that this lesson has been a blessing to you. So anyway, I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcasts.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus. Yeah.